Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You can watch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3 or 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. If you would like to get in on this, I feel much better than yesterday, Thursday morning. The first hour is the best time to do it. We're going to be interviewing towards the end of the second hour, Gerald Broussard, catching up with him a little bit just because I need, you know, it, my mind was kind of going off the rail. Today is UL Football Media Day, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the Cajuns as they start practice tomorrow. We did it yesterday with um, with Cokie Riley trying to figure out some of LSU's issues and and what to think of them going into the start of August practice, and we'll be doing some of that with the with the uh, Cajuns today. Um, it is two days after the trade deadline now, and we didn't get to it yesterday because I had to have a meltdown because the Astros or went to one in four against the Red Sox on Tuesday with another lame offensive performance. And, you know, it, it's kind of like if you have kids or you're a coach and you're coaching a team and 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 they do the wrong thing and you got to jump all over them and, and then they do the right thing. And you're like, why did it take me jumping all over you? I mean, I don't mind taking credit for this stuff, but um, but why, why we got to have a meltdown for, for somebody to get a base hit with a runner in scoring position in a home game to score more than one or two runs? You know, why, why does it take errors to score runs at home? And so, uh, but look, sometimes you got to have the meltdown. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. You know, I had to jump on Bregman twice in the last, and both times he responded. I appreciated him responding, and we'll see. Um, you know, hopefully that we don't need too many more meltdowns. Between, I mean, it's just enough. Enough of this, oh, I'm totally inept offensively at home stuff. Now, I don't mind... It's baseball. Sometimes you're going to face a pitcher that owns you or a really good pitcher who just pitches great. And we, we know the old cliches, great pitching beats great hitting just about every time. But if the pitcher's pitching great, but that's fine. That's going to happen. But, man, this consistently never scoring at home stuff is just really getting on my nerves. So it was great to see yesterday. Obviously, they had the great moment with Mancini hitting the home run and one of the things we talked with Michael about on Tuesday is that he very likely seems to have a, a Crawford box swing, and he showed that yesterday. So I'm all for that. Um, but two days after the trade deadline, if you remember some of the discussion we had in June, I got a little aggravated with the constant, not just national, you hear it locally too, Oh, the, the American League East is the greatest division in the history of sports, and all their teams might make the playoffs. And, and you know, all the, the, the teams in the other divisions are all terrible except for the Astros. And, 
Uh, I just never bought all that hogwash. It's hogwash. And so two days after, two days after the the uh, trade deadline, and again, there's a lot of baseball to be played. There's what fifty something games to be played. I I think you can still argue that the Astros and the Yankees and whatever order you want to put them on doesn't matter where you are right now, but. Whatever order you want to put them in are the two best teams. Doesn't mean they're going to play in the ALCS. That's not the way baseball works. Have we not figured that out? It might work that way, but just this, this assumption that these two teams with the best records all year long are going to are going to meet are going to both win all their playoff series until they play one another. That there, there's so many examples that doesn't work that way. This is baseball. Um. Right now, the Blue Jays have the third-best record. Seattle has the fourth-best record in the league. Minnesota has the fifth-best record. Tampa, the sixth. And the Guardians, the seventh. It will not. And I mentioned this talking to Jim last hour. I expect, I think it has a very realistic chance of happening. That, that come the end of the year, it will not surprise me at all if the Mariners and the Guardians have the third and fourth best records in the, in the American League. Now, the Blue Jays might. Look, I, I'm a, you know me, I, I, I believe in the Rays, but the Rays are so beat up. I just, they might, doubting the Rays, you know, doubt the Rays at your own peril. But, but the Rays are, are kind of like the Astros. They never score any runs. And they're so injured. I, I just I just don't know if it's gonna happen for them. And they put they put way too much pressure on a young guy like McClanahan, who's been fabulous. But uh I don't know. I don't I, I right now the Guardians are a game behind the Rays. Why I don't I don't know how much money I'd put on the Rays winning more games than the Guardians down the stretch, unless they get really healthy in a hurry. But but Franco's not close to coming back. So I, I think some people are starting to get it. The Mariners are for real. And the Guardians are good, and the Astros are about to play the Guardians. I don't It seemed like the Astros have had a lot of success in Cleveland in recent years. I don't remember going going to Cleveland and losing very many games. They've won a lot of games, including they went, they had, in their medicine season they had – a lot of people who don't believe in medicine seasons or understand them. The year I, the, in 18, the, the Astros went there and just waxed the Indians, and everybody said, oh, they, medicine season, ha, ha, ha. And then, of course, they lost the next round because it was a medicine season. But, um, and I still say that was a home run by Altuve. But um, I don't know. I'm just saying, watch out for the Guardians. Watch out for the Mariners. We'll see how that plays out. All right, um, Trevor Penning. I, you know, some people are acting like this is a surprise. I mean, we talked about this when they drafted Trevor Penning. What, what did, what did, what, did, what was I calling Trevor Penning before they even drafted him? He had his nickname already. He was Kyle Turley from the very first time we started handicapping this guy as a potential target of the Saints in the draft called him Kyle Turley Chris Alave, Wes Chandler 
That's my, that's they, they had nicknames. I had nicknames for those two cats before the Saints even drafted them because that's who they remind me of. And so this this is not new, and it could be good. But man, this cat's this cat's got to know where to draw the line. I, I I I just I don't know, but I'm a little worried now, just a little bit, that he doesn't know where the line is, and he can't help himself but cross it. That's what the Saints have got to figure out in camp. It's not that he's not talented, but he's got to know where the line is, and even more importantly, he's got to be able to handle his emotions when he approaches the line and make a conscious decision to not cross it. Is he capable of doing that? That's what he's got to prove. Is he capable of doing that? You know, Doug Marone, when they when they rehired him, I was like, man, he can he can fix Ruiz. That'd be good. Make him better. Uh, and, uh, may, may, corralling pinning might uh, or uh, Kyle Turley might be part of that. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. What's up, Kevin? How are you, sir? This is your favorite um, Albertson cashier, uh, Wallace. Hey, how you doing? Uh, nothing much. Uh, I'm calling to tell you who I think my uh, favorite uh, UL football, who's going to be their next coach. My coach, uh, quarterback, I'm sorry. Okay, H- help me. I think it's going to be uh, Tanner uh, Fields. Why do you think that? He was He was there last year and he was their backup, right? Well, he was the backup for some games. Like it was a all all year long, it was a weekly battle to who was going to be the backup, and you know if Le- Levi got hurt. And there were some games where Ben won the battle, and every week Coach Napier talked about how close it was. And and this week Ben, some weeks Ben was the start, the backup, the designated backup, and some weeks Chandler was. I really believe him. When they say it's a 50-50 situation going into August camp. And because they look, they wanted one of them to win the job in the spring because that makes it so much easier. But neither one won the job. And I think it's a 50-50 deal going into to August. So, yeah, is it is it possible Chandler's going to be the quarterback? Absolutely. But I, I'm not ready to, to, to say I, I really think that's what's going to happen because I don't think the coaches even know. Yes, sir. But, uh, the games that I watched when Chandler was on there, he did uh, better than uh, the other one. That's why I thought. What, what, what I like about Chandler is that it was very obvious last year. He's not scared. Uh, he is going to – he went in the game and he was ready to throw the ball. I mean, if he went in for one play because Levi's helmet fell off, usually when a guy goes in in that scenario, they just hand the ball off and you get to the next play. This cat was chunking it down the field on that first – that one play he was in. He's not scared at all. But again – He's not scared to take it at all. No, he's not. He, he is a gunslinger. Now, who's going to turn over the ball more, a gunslinger or a textbook quarterback? Probably the textbook quarterback because uh, they they got to – I'm going to let you go. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. All right. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. I'm worried that the gunslinger more will more. And, you know, again, I'm not in practice. I, I, don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of what they're looking for to separate the two. 
I think Ben's a little bit more of a um, outward leader, a little bit more of a, from what I've seen, a little bit more of a vocal leader. Chandler's a little more on the quiet side. But when he speaks, he speaks with confidence. He's not he's he doesn't lack confidence at all. He's smaller. Uh, I don't know if that makes a difference. Uh, I think both of them are capable of running when they need to run, but they're not runners. I think it's going to be a tough decision. And I think the good thing is they've both done enough, though I think they both have the respect of their teammates. Um, I just think it's going to be a tough call. I think, I think you're going to be looking at um, – really fine line, gut feeling, you know, I'll be surprised because, you know, one of the things Coach Leger has said and Coach Dez has said, it's like one day one does better and the other day the other does better. I mean, I just think that's the way it is. That's going to be a tough, tough call. And um, it's a controversy, but I just think those quarterback issues are so much easier when they have different skill sets. The fact that they have the same skill set, I just, I think it's it's going to be a tough call, and it would not surprise me if they end up doing what they did with Nunez and Levi. When was that? Three or four years ago, where, well, co- co- it would have been eighteen, co- Coach Napier's first season, where every you know one. Andre was the starter. He played three series, and you had a pre-scheduled series for the back for, for for Levi. It had nothing to do with who's doing good or who's doing bad. It was pre-scheduled. It would not surprise me if that if that ends up happening. All right, let's go I'll take one more uh, call from the game hotline, and then we'll get to our first timeout. We'll go to the game hotline. How, howdy, Ralph. Hey, yeah, how you doing today, man? Oh, a little better than yesterday. <laughs> Well, and, and not as good as tomorrow, right? I hope so. <laughs> Verlander's um, pitching tonight, so I'm, I like my chances of winning, and I'll be even better. Yes, sir. There you go. Well, hey, hey look, I mean, uh, I was a regular comment of the day about 56 years, and uh, you made it through uh, without having a heart attack yet. So uh, so, so you, you got it, buddy. You yes. got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, um, with Penning, and, and look, I, I totally um, – agree with you and 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 it's a fine line between trying to harness that that aggression because you know a lot of rookies come in overwhelm the league and that certainly isn't the case i mean he uh he's kind of asserting himself as the alpha male right off the bat um but obviously this case funnel into games so i was happy to see you know dennis allen kind of get proactive yesterday with you know and kick him out of practice and you know what I would do, Kev? I know it sounds maybe stupid, but but I would secretly designate a defensive player every day in practice to try to go to him as much as you could, and and because he's got to learn, you know, that line, and and just to try to push him and see. Because if it keeps happening, then obviously, you know, he, he's got, he's got to sit behind Hurst a little bit longer. I mean, because uh, what three out of the first four division games, right? Uh, yes. So you can't, you know, you, you can't <clears throat> take a chance stupid things happening. Um, you know, but I mean, he, he looks like he'd be the kind of guy you want 
uh, on your team for sure. But, um, but man, it is, I'm like you, I'm a little three days in a row, a little too much for me. Um, you know, so I, I just wonder if space. initially, and maybe it'll have nothing, maybe it'll happen and it really won't have anything to do with this. I just wonder if he doesn't harness it. If, it, if at least at the beginning of the season, Hurst doesn't start just to make sure. I mean, just oh to, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. cause you, you can't, you know, I think that's exactly what's going to happen, you know, and, and, you know, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you would think Doug Marone could, but I mean, to me, it's more like maybe Streif and Jari Evans can, can, can work with him, and and maybe he would relate more to a, you know, player. I mean, he even said himself, Coach Streif sits right next to me in film, you know, every day. He's five, you know, five feet away from me, you know. So uh, hopefully, and, and I don't remember that. I mean, I remember Zach Streif as being. You know, I'm not a really good, you know, overachiever. Really, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he was. He wasn't like Kyle Turley. No, he he was more right, yeah. right, more reserved. Yeah. So hopefully, yes. uh, but like I said, you know, it's kind of he had the reputation coming out of college, and boy, you know, sometimes they they disappoint or just, you know, they, it, it don't don't live up to the reputation. Well, he's he's definitely doing that a oh, uh, little little too much, you know. But anyway. I got. I just wanted one more thing in your opinion, and and I know lists are always subjective. I get all that. I was reading Canal Street Chronicles. It just popped up today on my Twitter feed, and apparently they had ranked the top 100 Saints of all time. And I didn't even go back to look at the criteria to see if they can include active players or not. But 10 through one were were up there today, and I don't disagree with with any of them necessarily. I might have them ranked a little different, but. In your opinion, and and I, I love both players, and that's why it's kind of hard for me to decide. But they have Wayne Martin ranked number ten, but Cam Jordan's not, you know, on the top ten. I know Cam Jordan's still active, but at this point, wouldn't you say he's achieved at least as much as Wayne Martin? I love I love both players, but I would I would put him a little ahead of Wayne Martin. Yes. Yeah, but that's what I, I that's what I thought this too, man. And I think he's and he's still probably two more good years, you know, at least. So, um, but I mean, look, they were both, in my definition, complete defensive ends. Oh, I like both of them. In fact, that's what oh, yeah. I call Peyton Turner. So he needs to step it up this year. Absolutely. Okay, Kev. Thank you. Thank so you. Much, I appreciate man. it. Okay. Right. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back. With more on the game, one zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. An award-winning journalist, popular sports talk show host, and a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the, the whole bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. A normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foot is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. 
Kevin Foote on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Astros will be beginning a four-game series tonight in Cleveland. Again, of late, they've had a lot of success in Cleveland. The Guardians have been playing very good. I mean, this guy, Andres Jimenez, the year he's having is unbelievable. Uh, you remember earlier when the Astros played Cleveland in Houston, I was doing a lot of complaining because they kept pitching Jose Ramirez. Well, I'm still going to complain about that some if they keep if they do that in this series as well. But he's got more protection now. Naylor's really having a nice season. And Andres Jimenez, man, what that gap season he's having has been has been unbelievable. They are a um <clears throat> I think they're a sneaky pretty good team. I, you know, they had an issue early on where they had a lot of rainouts. And that forces you to play a lot of double headers and it's it's hard when you play double header after double header after double header. Uh, it kills your pitching staff. So they've been they've got a rough go of it schedule-wise with all these rainouts and doubleheaders. And so I think they're a little better than people realize. And now that I think pretty much most of that, if not, I don't know, I'm not an expert on their schedule, but if I think most of that is out of the way, if not all of it. And they, uh, I think they're going to win. I think them and the Mariners are going to win a lot of games. I'll be surprised if the, if the Guardians don't win that division. But, uh, but and, and then there's Jim's White Sox who most of us picked to win the division, and they have a ton of talent, and they're only two games out to playoffs. It's not like they're, like, you know, way out. Any one of those three teams could win it. Other than the Yankees, it it wouldn't shock me if the White Sox, Guardians, and twins all have a better record than anybody else in the American in the ES ALESP division other than the Yankees. That wouldn't that wouldn't be shocking at all. Although I think Toronto is pretty good. Helped themselves. Toronto should be that good. We'll see if Tampa's injuries will allow that to happen. Uh still a long way to go. Fifty something games. All right. The game hotline is 706 706-0111. I mentioned yesterday with Koki. Um, what would be the bottom record for LSU that would be acceptable? He said seven and five. Man, I, I, I think if if LSU finishes seven and five, because understand, with LSU. Um, if you go seven and five, you're really going. I mean, I'd have to anal- really analyze their schedule, but you've got three or four wins before the season even starts. So you're really going like three and four or three and five. That's really your re- you. That's really when you're in LSU and you go seven and five. In my mind, you had a losing season. I know technically you don't, but 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 you schedule you you schedule three wins, and so uh, you're really having a losing season. I 
<clears throat> I'm going to say eight and four. But again, there's so many questions. Who knows? So the next step on that process is what about the Cajuns? What would be, Jim asked me last hour, what, how would I define success for the Cajuns this year? My answer was winning the Sun Belt West. You know, let's say, let you know, they don't ever lose to West teams. But let's say they lose to one and they lose to a team in the East and, they're, and they and – and they lose to Florida State, say, and they're nine and three, and um, they still win the division. I mean, not everybody's going to be happy. You can never make everyone happy, but I, I think that would people would feel pretty good about this. I mean, I, I, I've even made the argument, and I don't know if it's true because I think the defense got better, but the offense didn't. You know, Coach Napier's second team in 19 was way more explosive offensively. They lost three games that year, but they blew out everybody they beat. It, It would not surprise me, and this is purely hypothetical, if the three Cajun teams, 19 20 and 21 played each other that the team in 19 that lost three games was actually the best team. I think you could make that argument. I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. Now, I think part of that reason is because that team was way more explosive offensively because they had a number one legitimate wide receiver. Uh, and they had really good running backs, and which they did. Now, I think the defense got a little better in 20 and 21. Um, so maybe I, 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 I'm being too offensive-minded, which I try not to be. And, and, but um, would not – you know, I think you could make that argument anyway. So I, I think South Alabama, if they figure out their – Quarterback situation is 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 scary. Uh, I think Troy, if <clears throat> if the coach or whatever reason why Troy was so bad on offense last season, um, gets fixed, Troy could be scary. The problem with those teams is they just don't know. Either they don't know how, or they, or they just it just doesn't happen for whatever. Reason. They just don't run the football enough. I mean, you you got to be able to run the football. It's hard to win close games if you don't run the football. <clears throat> you just have to be able to run the football. So if Troy and or South Alabama could figure out how to run the football, especially in the second half, it would not shock me at all if they finish ahead of the Cajuns. Again, the Cajuns win these games. It's not complicated. You know, Coach uh, uh, Gerald has told me that on and off the air for years, and, and and it seems like ever since he started really pointing that out to me, 
as we analyze games, uh, you hear other coaches say it. Dennis Allen said it the other day. More games are you win most of your games because the other team lost. You didn't win. And really, that's kind of been the case. The reason why the Cajuns have won all these Sunbelt West titles in a row and played in all these Sunbelt championship games is largely because they don't lose games. They they do just enough to and they 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 play consistent ball long enough where the other team loses it. And uh that's either from turnovers or from, you know, sloppy defensive play or whatever. Um the Cajuns win because they can run the ball when they need to in the fourth quarter because they don't turn it over. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's really that simple. Like, do they have good players? Of course they do. In a lot of different areas. And they're and other than field goal kicking, they've been they're pretty good on special teams most of the time, other than field goal kicking's been an issue for the last few years for sure. Um and which is ironic because growing up in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s, the Cajuns always were good. I mean, for, for a while there, it was kicker you. And lately, you know, they've struggled there. Um, so, But other than the kicking part, they're good on special teams. And in other words, they do all the things that isn't point number one, two, or three in most fans' conversations. It's 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 more of the finer points. They just they don't turn it over. So if they turn it over this year, and they run the ball, maybe not quite as good as they have at times in the last three years. They could have it. Look again, South Alabama should have beat the Cajuns last year. All they had to do is make a field goal at home and a really makeable field goal, and they don't won. So this idea that the Cajuns are so far ahead of the rest of the West is not accurate. I don't think it's accurate. Now, their accomplishments have been far ahead of the rest of the West. But the actual games haven't been all that. Like, they own Texas State. I'd kind of halfway joke and mostly serious about that. But, you know, they, they didn't beat Monroe by many points last year. I mean. And this should have been a really good team with a veteran quarterback. Monroe has a bunch of, rene- you know, just not renegades, but, I mean, just patchwork team. And they and they, and they they competed with the Cajuns. So I think um, the Cajuns are going to – that's why I asked Wallace the question in the last segment, which quarterback has the best chance of limiting turnovers? And I think that it's why I'm starting to think Ben might be my guess for who's going to win the job because I think he's more of a textbook guy. Chandler's more – he's a little bit more of a vocal leader and he's a little bit more of I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do kind of a quarterback where Chandler's more of a gunslinger. And so I don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I – I'm thinking nine and three is that record for the Cajuns. If they lose more than three games, I think a high percentage of the fan base will be frustrated and not too happy. But if they lose three games and still win the West, 
I think um, I, I, I think most fans will will be understanding and and, and 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 it'll be the last acceptable win. As for the Saints, and again, you don't have to agree with me. We got all month to discuss this and, and, and think about this, but um, I would love to hear what what any Cajun fans think about this as well. Saints. I've, I have a feeling that for me and for a lot of Saints fans, a lot of other Saints fans in general, it's going to be very different. I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say ten and seven. Anything worse than ten and seven, I'll, I'll be, I'm going to be disappointed at ten and seven. I'm just telling you that right now. But I think right now, not knowing who might get hurt or what kind of bad news we're going to get in August. I'll say 10 and 7, but I got I got to tell you if the Saints go 10 and 7, I'm going to be very disappointed. My 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 um I'm thinking better than that. So we'll see how that plays out. That's my initial for those 8 and 4 for LSU, 9 and 3 for the Cajuns, 10 and 7 for the Saints is where I'm going into August. Now again, all kind of things could happen. Could get injuries, all, all kind of things could happen and change your mind. Uh hopefully that doesn't happen from a bad standpoint, but we'll see. That's kind of what we'll start off with. All right, we'll take a timeout. Again, if you would like to call in next segment and the one, the first segment of the second hour would be the best two times to do that if you want to call in on the game hotline, 706-0111. We'll take a timeout and be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, Astro Getaway 4, Saturday, August the 27th. The Astros will be playing the Baltimore Orioles. If you want to win four tickets, a tour minute made park and hotel accommodations that evening, you need to join the Astro Clubhouse. You might win. Astro Getaway 4. As always, Astro Getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, what's going on? How are you? How are you, sir? Good. I'm doing well. Uh, I just wanted to bring up uh, the Saints' newly acquired mad dog, Trevor Penning. He's been uh, not suspended, I'm sorry, um, kicked out of practice yesterday after his third consecutive fight. I just wanted to hear your thoughts. You know, one of the situations where this is the reason why they've likely drafted him for that ferocity and that sort of attitude. Really, the C.J. Garner Johnson of the uh, of the offensive line just getting in the opponent's head. Um, do you think this is something that you can coach out in the regular season? Because it'd be a shame to uh, you know lose a third down because of his uh, little playing past the whistle. Absolutely, I I, I am uh, you know I, I think. 
what I'm worried is he's going to be the other side of Chauncey Garner-Johnson. In other words, he's going to be the guy, because he has this bad temper and over-aggressiveness, that other teammates are going to be able to goat him into getting penalties that could hurt the team. And so, again, I, they've got to determine through all of this, this in, in the preseason games and, and in practice, does he know where the line is and can he control himself when he gets close to the line? I mean, they've right. got to they've got to determine that. I I don't mind him being, you know, every once in a while, you know, having these fights and all that. But I don't want a penalty in the fourth quarter of a close game. I mean, he's got to know where to draw the line. Yeah, I'm hoping that's something that can get coached out. Um, yeah, you know, we all love to see it. We really do. I mean, if anything, that's just going to heat up the whole line and get them going. And Dennis Allen yesterday, he didn't seem too upset. I think it was practically speaking, he was just saying, hey, we have work to do and this is getting in the way. But you know, when he got in the locker room, he was fired up saying, keep it going. Yeah, I think sometimes coaches have to publicly say something, but when they get in their own manner saying, man, that cat's mean like we thought he was. I, I could see that happening, yeah. But, he, but yeah. again, you got to know where the line is. Uh, yeah. You know, I think of, you know, the Kyle Turley incident against the Jets, and it's a little bit different, but I think of the Jim Dombrowski incident against Raymond's stupid Redskins in 1988 where the Dexter Manley spit in his face and he got a penalty and then – that choker Martin Anderson missed a field goal and, and, and had one of many heartbreaking losses that year. So you could get in trouble as an offensive lineman getting penalties in a in a close game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree. Well, if we make it to the playoffs and play, play uh, Los Angeles, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, him and Aaron Donald throw hands a little Ooh. bit, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Thank <laughs> well, you for the call. You. Thank you, sir. Yeah. No, it, it's a legitimate concern and question. Again, none of us know. I mean, I don't. How many of us saw Northern Iowa play last year? Probably none of us. Maybe, maybe one of us who might have covered a might have saw a Northern Iowa game because you had a bet on it. I don't know if they played on any. I didn't. I don't follow Northern Iowa, but um, but probably ninety something percent of us to one hundred percent of us never really saw him play a football game. So. We're just going off of what his reputation is and what we've seen. And, again, a few skirmishes here or there I think most of us expected. You just have to – they just have to determine. And, really, it, it, it's up to his teammates and, and, his, and, and his line coach. Uh, they have to make a determination if they um, – if he knows where the line is and can he control himself. You love the aggressiveness. You want a mean guy there. You want a guy with attitude. But you 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 just got to know where the line is. So again, not a surprise. We we you know everybody who paid attention to. I mean, again, we gave him the nickname Kyle Turley on this show before the, the Saints even drafted him. The cat had a nickname, and he wasn't even drafted by the Saints yet. He was Kyle Turley from the very beginning. And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, he can run block. Hopefully. Again, if the biggest issue with him is getting a penalty and it's not jumping off sides, which he has done a few times in camp, you know, we can't have that over-aggressiveness to where he's jumping off sides. If, if he's not jumping off sides and getting a bunch of holding penalties, then, you know, you can live with a penalty every once in a while as long as it's not in a close game late in the, in the fourth quarter. All right, let's go back to the game hotline and talk to Brett. Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you, sir? I got a question for you. Uh, 
Are football tabs uh, not not a thing of the uh, newspapers anymore? Because I mean, I, I look at the paper every day and I see that they have a page of every high school. So football football tabs, they a thing of the past? You think? Uh, I'm not saying everywhere in the country, but we're, here, yeah, I, I, we haven't done a football tab, and I want to say, want to say. Th- 13 or 14 might have been the last one we've been doing the uh the daily thing for for about five or six years at least now yes sir you think it's better or it's easier or it's, i mean it's still well, hard but i mean I, it's, it's I, a lot I, more I kinda like, easier I, for the way you do it now the the one thing that i you know i did football tabs for for decades the one thing i like i always felt a little weird during the football tab era that we do all this work for one day and then you you have no coverage of essentially in the paper every day for, for you know for for a whole month this way there's scattered coverage there's daily coverage of high school every day you don't have that one big bang at the end but but you have daily coverage so i actually think this is better and a, a question about the saints i never heard i mean i might have missed it but if you predict and that record's going to be what you think it'll be. Because the over and under thing, they saying that it's uh, under eight. I think they're going to win more than eight games, huh? Well, if they don't, I'm going to be a really depressed puppy. But, um, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm, ho- I'm really hoping that it, it – it, I, I think right now I'm going to say 11 and 6, but I'm really hoping for better than that. All right. Thanks a lot. Have All a right. good day. Th- thanks. You know what's amazing to me? I don't know if anybody else had has noticed this. The whole 17-game thing has not been as – I think I've made the transition way better than I thought I was going on that. Like, when you know, I thought for, you know, for, th- what, 30-something years since, what, 1978 maybe was the first? I think 77 might have been the last 14-game season. I We've been playing with a 16-game season for most of my life, and I've made that transition to 17 games a lot quicker, like in making predictions and, and that kind of stuff than I thought I was going to. Sometimes old dogs like me don't learn new things too much. I'm still trying to – I'm still start, you know, appreciating email and stuff like that. All right. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour. Next on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 4th, 1936, American Jesse Owens claims his second gold medal at the Summer Olympics in Berlin after defeating German Luz Long in the final of the long jump event. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you to join the game clubhouse. If you want to win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse, $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Boring Grill, or a $25 gift certificate 
to Mabel's Kitchen, you need to join the Game Clubhouse today. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today by going to 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. Look, I know I keep saying this over and over again. I'm sorry. I just keep hearing it. Last night, I'm driving around, listening to, uh, I think on my way home or somewhere, I forget where, and I'm listening to the game, 1037, and it's the Zach Gelb show. And, you know, Zach's a little wacky sometimes, but I, I listen to him, and I agree with some of the stuff. He, he's like, one of the teams I'm not buying, not buying them is the Saints. They're not making the playoffs. They got a good defense. Um, You know, they got a good running back, but their coach is gone, and I don't trust the show, um, Jameis Winston. They're not making the playoffs. I'm not buying them. Over and over and over again. Everywhere you go, people are saying that stuff over and over. Not buying them. Not buying them. I just just don't get it. But he buys the Vikings. Now, the Vikings are interesting. But the Vikings ain't played good defense in a long time. Look. I, I think this whole idea that that the Zimmer Cousins bad relationship messed with that team could be a real thing, but that doesn't explain how bad they've been defensively for years now. I I think the Vikings are intriguing, but no way do I think they have a better football team than than the Saints. I mean, I, I don't I don't believe that. Of course, they own the Saints, so there's that. All right, that'll do it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnote. Kevin Foote on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Astros open up a four-game road series against the Red Hot Guardians. Uh, Justin Verlander's pitching tonight. I believe... Excuse me, I believe it's against Plezak, if I remember correctly. Tomorrow, Framber Valdez is pitching. So, you know, that's the Astros' two best pitchers to open up this series, and it gives you some confidence. Uh, Framber, it's one of the wild things in sports. Like, the Astros normally don't score a lot of runs for Verlander. When Urquidy pitches, they score a ton of runs, and they did it again yesterday. It's crazy. Like, that's happened for years in baseball, and there's just no – there's a lot of things you can explain in baseball, but I really struggle to understand that because it seems like – like, if you're pitching – if your ace is pitching, it seemed like you would play with more confidence, so you would do better. But so often when an ace pitches, like the Mets have struggled with that with DeGrom for years. 
you, it's almost like you feel like, well, we don't have to hit today. We don't have to score many runs because their ace is pitching. But it seemed like you would play with so much more confidence when your ace pitches. But, man, if he doesn't lead the league, he's among the league leaders in runs, getting run support, Jose Arquiti. Now, it's not that he's needed it a whole lot because he's got like double, I think last night was like his 10th or 11th straight quality start. Framber leads the major leagues right now with 17 straight quality starts. Verlander doesn't even have that. Because Verlander got lit a couple, you know, not a couple, but a while back when they played Seattle, he got lit. Um, There's those pesky Mariners again. But, you know, I, I had uh, a friend who's a Yankee fan who was worried earlier this week that Hannah wasn't going to speak to him anymore because his Yankees were going to sweep the Mariners. So after the Mariners secured a series win yesterday, I, I texted him saying that that Hannah's Hannah's one. She's got a she's got a messy floor her kid in her kitchen. She's want to know if she could borrow his broom because he wasn't going to have any need for it. When that I, was a good one, Hannah. When I, when I tell you that I laughed so hard, whatever you texted me that. <sighs> Like, my friend, I'm helping her pack and move to her new house. And she's like, why are you laughing? I said, because the man that I believe is the worst trash talker alive just sent me the best trash talk I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, like, I, what I say, I literally was in the middle when I saw that. I, I was in the middle of packing when they were playing. So I saw the, I checked it. I was like, huh, hmm, that's a serious one. I thought it was going to be a sweep by those Yankees. Yeah. Hmm. So I immediately started texting you, and then you hit me back, and I was like, "Look, it, 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 it goes back to the old line and stripes. I, I've always been that way. I, you know, Ro uh, Russell says uh, something like his dad always told him never uh, hit someone or something unless you're absolutely sure you can get away with it. So you just, you know, look, I, I'm not an elitist when it comes to sports. This idea, oh, especially in baseball, to say, oh, we're gonna sweep someone. I mean. That's just macho football talk. I mean that that has that, that that as as Skip would say, that's a football comment. That's not. This is baseball. You know all that macho football talk. It, it it just doesn't apply to baseball. It just doesn't. And that was one more example of that for sure. But um, no, Seattle. I I uh, you know. I think some Yankee fans are starting to get a little worried just because they better hope that Montas, and I think Frankie Montas is, good, Montas is good, that doesn't mean he can pitch in New York City. Until you go to New York or Boston, you just don't know if you how you're going to do there. You just don't. And so we'll see. I mean, uh, it's a lot easier to pitch in virtual anonymity in Oakland. It just is. For one, it's a great pitcher's park, and plus, no one cares. And so it, 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 there's still a certain amount of pressure because it's still a major league game, but it's just different. It, 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 it's, it's just different. And so um, we'll see how he does. But if he does it, they're going to have issues. They're going to have issues. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Footsie. Howdy, sir. Footsie, speaking of high school football, 
do we have to have like an article on three five A like three five A is going to be really competitive this year? This team may make a run at district title. Do we have to have that article again this year? I mean, I don't think anybody really believes that. I do think that Acadiana probably won't be quite as good as they were last year, especially on the defensive side. But what a quarterback who's not going to not not be a first year starter anymore. I think the offense will, you know, still be pretty pretty good. I I think defensively they're going to have a tough time being as good as they were the last two years. But we'll see. No, I don't think anybody thinks that. You know, this district is as bad as it's been maybe ever, depth wise. So no, I don't believe that. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm not picking on nobody. I mean, hey, but I think Acadiana is going to be pretty good on defense. Like he said, they might not be as good as they were last year. But they got a couple of players on that defense that are really good. I'm going to tell you. So, you know, we don't need to write an article. Well, 3-5-A might be up for grabs because it ain't up for grabs. We know who's winning. So let's just write some other article. Maybe we could do a, you know, hey, it's all right to do a feature on somebody. If y'all want to do a feature on Aaron Crow, Southside, New Iberia, hey, do the feature on one of their players. But saying who it might be a competitive district it might be karen crow actually might be uh, be tough but karen crow you know. karen crow's never been afraid of acadiana oh no the crow ain't scared no oh, no 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 the crow ain't scared but you know still Acadiana i reckon rambler i think that game may be at the crow too it may be it may very well be at the crow i'm 100 percent sure but anyway footsie now explain to me learn me Okay, are strikeouts good or bad? Because I've seen some of your Facebook posts, and and, and you've confused me from what you say on the radio on some of your Facebook posts. I prefer – I don't think strikeouts are all-American evil like some people do because I prefer a strikeout to a double play. Like, when, when, when candy comes up and it's one out and the base is loaded, I, my first reaction is just strikeout. Because you're going to hit into a double play. We're not going to get any runs here. Just strike out. So it depends on the the scenario. Um, But what I don't like is someone who just strikes out 150 times a year in general. In isolated hypothetical situations, I'm okay with the strikeout. It's what I, I hate double plays way more than I hate a strikeout. But when you're talking about overall, like mega look, not a not an individual game situation, I, I I much prefer a guy who strikes out 80 times a year than a guy who strikes out 150 times a year. Yeah, like this cat Gallo, he struck out 194 times in 146 games. This cat that used to play for the Yankees went to the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean that 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 that's a little too much in my, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, hold on, you that's, know? that's a lot too much. I mean, now now, Footy, did, did, what did you say last week about my man Bob Gibson? You were taking a shot, my man Bob Gibson. I I, I got to straighten this up too. <laughs> I I think that we overblow how good the pitchers were in the eras where pitching wasn't really that difficult. I think Bob Gibson was a Hall of Fame pitcher, but if Bob Gibson pitched today, his ERA he'd have never had an ERA like that. And if he pitched today, he wouldn't have been able to throw as many pitches as he did back then because they wouldn't have let him. It's well, just different. You have to put everybody just through a filter. Because the game has changed for the worse, that don't mean that Bob Gibson 
wouldn't have been able to do what he was he he, he could have done. I, I mean, I just think personally, I think the game has changed for the worse. Just just my opinion. Bob Gibson, but, in terms of what people talk about with Bob Gibson, it's not that different than Deacon Jones. Deacon Jones would get a penalty every play. Now he would they would kick him out of the league. I know, I know. Like hey, once again, change for the worse. <laughs> and this capital. Saints, this cat better get his head together because you can't be fighting on every play. Yeah, Come on, dude. No, you can't do that. We're we, we in the National Football League now. <laughs> You're not in Northern Iowa. Hey, this, this ain't Division Two football. This and you can't be messing with your league. own players that much. I mean, we don't want to be injured really, your own man. players. How you can be that stupid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he oh, needs last, a chill pill, as they say. Last but not least, footsie. What about the Seattle Mariners taking two out of three from the Yankees? So we don't need no Yankees being on Hannah's face. No. Okay? Seattle Mariners took two out of three. Hannah always has a pleasant, pleasant. you know, she's always very pleasant when I call. Way better than the other boy we had because he was not pleasant at all. <laughs> Hannah is pleasant. And, and, you know, she's happy to hear from people. We, we need more people like Hannah in this world. Pleasant, welcoming people. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call, sir. All right, Footsie. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. No, really, I I don't know about wins and losses. I just I, the Yankees score more runs in that series than I expected them to. Um, because <clears throat> Seattle's been playing pretty well lately. Um, but no, the we'll see. Uh, Seattle plays the Angels this weekend. Man, you know, going when we were in June, the Angels had a winning record. They were playing pretty well. I noticed that no one mentioned Otani got outpitched by another no-name last night. Cat's been getting outpitched by some pretty relatively in the big picture, low on the totem pole guys of late. But man, the, the Angels with the trades they've made and where they are, and I'm starting to think the a- the A's might catch the Angels. I haven't really looked at what they're di- – they're they're them where they are in the standings. I've been focusing more on the top of the standings, but I, I'm starting to think the Angels might finish with the worst record in Major League Baseball. The A's okay. They're five games behind the Angels, the little MVPs. It would not surprise me if the, I think the A's are feistier than the little MVPs right now, because the Angel, you know, Murphy was one of the guys I was interested in. Murphy didn't get traded. Murphy had a three-run bomb last night. Days won again. Days beat the little MVPs. I, I I think it's possible the little MVPs might finish with the worst record in the American League. I don't know about all of baseball because the Nationals aren't too good. But um, I, I mean, I was convinced the Nationals were going to have a medicine season after they beat the Astros in the World Series. Them cats might have a, a medicine decade after beating the Astros. In the World Series. Man. Putrid. All right. We'll take a time out. We'll come back with one more segment where you can get phone calls. After that, we'll be speaking with Gerald Broussard. We'll take a time out and be back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Again, want to remind you, Astro Weekend Getaway. Saturday, August the 27th. If you would like to win, all you got to do is register for the game clubhouse. If you do, you can win four tickets to that game, hotel accommodations, and a tour of Minute Maid Park. Astro Weekend Getaway, powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Last chance to get in if you would like to get in on the game hotline. Uh, 706-0111, 706-0111. All right, I think we've established most years this stays roughly the same. You know, you can get injuries or just feels from reports um, that could potentially change some things. But at least for now, it seems like something that we do each year on the show at the beginning of August is to establish the worst, the lowest, I should say, acceptable record or what we perceive to be the worst acceptable record by the majority of the fan base. Now, I should have asked Jim what he thinks that is for McNeese. I, I would think for McNeese... Seven and five? Would it be seven and five for McNeese? Would it be six and six? What is that expectation? I think for the Saints, I'm going to say ten and seven. Um, Maybe, you know, nationally, you know, I don't know. They think the Saints are going to lose, you know, only win six or seven games, it sounds like. That hadn't happened other than Katrina since Ditka was the coach. But somehow this year, with the best roster ever, they're going to have it. I, I don't get that. But anyway, um, Cajuns, I'm going to say 9-3. and three. Um, We'll see. I, I Again, I, I'm really worried that they're due to lose some, some close games. Um. I don't think their level of play is going to be that different than most of the games they've played last two years. But they've won their 13-1 and one in, in close games the last two years. How long can that continue? We'll see. I don't know. That is, a, um, that, that is going to be something to keep an eye on. I think they're going to be good defensively. I'm a little more worried than Coach Dez is about the running back situation and and maybe I'm foolish because they've done a gr- such a good job of running the football for a while now. But I'm just saying, you lost two guys who played. One, you know, you had a three-headed monster last year. You, two of them transferred. One of the potential replacements and Kendrell Williams from Crow is out for the season already. And so, if you get one more injury. You're going to be playing someone or counting on someone that you would not have been counting on before all this attrition. And so that that gets to me where you start to get a little worried. Um, they obviously, as a Cajun philosophy, they don't like putting too many carries on one guy, especially a guy coming off an injured season 
in, in Chris Smith's case. He, he was hurt down the stretch. They, they held him out of the bowl game to try to get him healthy. Um, he is healthy now, but he's still not big. I mean, this isn't like this monster running back. I love Chris Smith. Might be my favorite player on the whole team, but he's not Eric Dickerson size-wise I'm talking about. So, um, it, 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 you want to avoid the temptation of him having to carry the ball too much. Uh, that's why I, I think Jacob Cabote could be a, a huge part of this team. Uh, I think he's an in, I think he's, there's a list of, I don't know, five, six, seven guys for the Cajuns that are extremely intriguing to me that, that might be really counted on more than most the average fan thinks. I think Jacob Cabote could be one of those. Uh, I know Draylon Washington, I'm probably more anxious to see him play than anybody on the whole team. He's going to have to be good. I mean, I think he's going to be good. When they signed him, Coach Napier was more giddy about Draylon Washington than I think any player they've signed in the last two years. Just judging by the things he said, how often he mentioned his name, um, and just the way he reacted to to the when we talked when we asked about him after they signed him on signing day. Um uh, he was extremely excited about him. Uh, and so I'm anxious to see him play. Um, they, they're going to need him. No question about it. They're going to need him. Big time. And then, you know, Terrence Williams played some last year. He did okay, but I didn't see anything dynamic there. And maybe there's more dynamic in it and, and, it, and he was just young and so it didn't play itself out. We'll see. Offensive line is a big issue. We'll be speaking with Gerald in the next segment. That's one of the questions I plan to ask him is about the offensive line. And, um, you know, he was a, he played offensive line. That's kind of part of his expertise. So we'll see how, how that plays out. Um, I think the defense is going to be fine. Um, You know, I think the defensive line is going to be really good. I think they've done, I think they've done a good enough job of replacing the key losses. You know, um, Chauncey Manak played big at times in certain games and down the stretch. You know, Andre Jones is a, is effectively replacing him, and you're talking about a very experienced, productive player replacing him. So I think that's going to be good. Um, I, I, I feel good about where they are at cornerback. I feel, uh, you know, it's very possible Washington, you know, we'll see uh, his availability. But but I feel, you know, I like Trey Amos. Uh, Keon Martin's a guy that transferred in. Um, there's reason to believe that he could be a functional member of the ro- of the cornerback rotation there. Uh, like where they are at safety. You know, they've been they've been talking high about Skipper for a few years. He he's another one of the guys on a, a list of five or six guys that I'm most anxious to see when the season starts. How they're gonna you know, what role are they gonna play and what are they gonna look like? Because they've been they've been pretty high on Skipper for since they signed him and, and, and his skill set. 
Uh, Tyrone Lewis is a guy transferred from Kansas State. Played a little special teams last year. Didn't get a whole lot of, you know, anxious to see what what, what he's going to look like. And so, a lot of questions. No question. A lot of questions. But I, I'm going to – I think Ryan will, will, will say – Nine and three, and again the Cajuns open up. They're having media day today, and they're opening up um, practice tomorrow. Team reports today, and LSU yesterday again. Koki said seven and five. I think I think I'm going to say eight and four to start off this process. Uh, in my mind, in my mind, seven and five for LSU is a losing season. That's just the way I look at schedules and the NF and college football and and how it works. If you schedule three to four wins, you go seven and five, in my mind, that's a losing season. Um I think eight and four is either a five hundred season or what most people perceive as a seven and five type season. Maybe just a hair above five hundred kind of a season. Uh the old six and five kind of season. If you're an LSU and you schedule three or four wins and you go eight and four. To me, that's kind of like about a six and five season in the 011 game format. Not what it looks like, because so many of your wins you win before you get on in college, before you walk on the field. So, um, uh, so I think we'll do that. I'm going to ask Jim, and or, or you know, maybe some of the callers might want somebody might want to call in as we go on. Not today, because we're running out of time to take call, but like tomorrow or even next week, anytime in August, get a perception of where McNeese falls into all that. I, I'm going to guess 7-5 and five is the answer for McNeese with that question, but but there's certainly listeners, and Jim certainly knows way more about McNeese than I do, so I, w- I would be anxious to hear uh, how, how McNeese fits into that as well. So lots to find out. We'll, you know, we'll get a trickle of information here and there from the from the practices and and more importantly from the little intra squad scrimmages and we'll see how how, how kind of that that plays out but it, again football season is really here like we've got an NFL preseason game tonight college practice McNeese started yesterday Cajun start tomorrow uh, we're going to be talking a lot more specifically for sure all right that'll do it for this segment we'll take a timeout be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to remind you, if you have not joined the game clubhouse, you need to do so. It's free, it's easy, and you could put yourself in position to win all kind of great prizes like $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. You can only win if you join the game clubhouse, so do so today by going to 1037 thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. All right, the Astros did not pick up a center fielder 
And I'm sick and tired of watching Jake Myers play every night on my screen. So I'm in panic mode. And when I get really bad, I always call my unpaid therapist, Gerald Broussard, who is very gracious to answer the phone most of the time. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm glad you said most of it because I know I just left you hanging there for a minute. Unintentional, but done. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about your center fielder. Oh. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But if you'd have got one from the Cubs, even though it's still Steve and you, or, it still would have bothered me. <laughs> I'm just saying, it would have bothered me. All right. So I wanted to um, – you're a world traveler, and I was going to uh, get you last week to kind of get – do you pay attention to anything that's said in Sunbelt Conference media days? Because I thought a few things were relatively interesting. Or is that just like you just wait till actual football before you start really trying to dissect what people are saying? Yeah, I don't worry about what people say so much as I worry about what they do. Uh, and, and, no, I, I saw a couple of the early interviews at the media day, and it, it just uh, – the coach speak part of it. And, all. and look, I was a coach. I know what that is. And I understand and all that stuff. I know you always say coaches lie. Uh, coaches tell you exactly what you should know they're going to tell you before you even ask the question. And so that, that I just, I really, that does not interest me that much. But obviously something intrigued you. So I don't know what that would be. Well, a, a couple things. One of them is I had never met some of these new coaches that were joining the conference. So, you know, you know way more people in the coaching profession than, than I do. Coach Signetti at uh, at James Madison, man, he's one that kind of – that guy speaks his mind. Like, he's one of these coaches that if he coaches the team that you don't like, one of your rival schools, I don't think you're going to like that guy very much. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, nowadays, though, that used to you, – you wouldn't do that because it – you know, it, you know why you don't do it. It, yeah. just, it wasn't – but anyway, nowadays I think people are more encouraged to do that because of all the social media stuff and all that stuff, and it's, it's used for sound bites. And I think a lot of that is done by intent, you know. And, and but but Kev, now, everything that happens, all you got to do is, is 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 follow their Twitter feed or their Instagram feed. And I say they being the the teams, you know. I, I I'm just. Look, I, I enjoy college football and really enjoy the broadcast part of it and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how thankful I am that I'm not having to coach it with a lot of the stuff. And, and may, maybe that makes me old. I know I'm old. I mean, but I'm vertical, and that's the big thing. And uh, you know, so it's 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 just a little different than what I was used to. And I don't want to say it's it's better, or worse, or any of it. It's just different. Yeah. All right. So here's one of the things I'm trying to get straight in my mind. We're in an era now where you got, all, you know, again, the transfer portal. We talked about that all, over and over. But in trying to identify the, and, and specifically in the quarterback situation, like there's quarterbacks transferring like crazy. And there's, you know, in the sun, it's all over the country. And it's specifically in the Sun Belt Conference, you know, last year, App got a Duke transfer and it worked out great. Uh, other other quarterbacks got transfers, didn't work out quite as well. So how do you go – like, are we at the point now where if you get a transfer portal starting quarterback that you should consider it's got a decent chance of working? Or is it way more of a 50-50 chance of working out that first year with a new quarterback on a new team than most people realize? 
I think it's it's tough to see now because there's so many that are transferring. Back in the day, that people and and we as coaches we always said it. People transfer for a reason, uh, and and you just got to find out what that reason is. Not everything is because of a lack of ability to play. Some of it is just a bad fit. I mean, give you an example of which, you know, when I was first started recruiting, you know, and it's, it's common knowledge that, you know, Brett Favre was not recruited as a quarterback. Uh, you know, we had an opportunity at one time to maybe bring him in. And, and when we first, when I first went and evaluated him, he was an option quarterback. And then we wouldn't, we had Brian Mitchell was a true freshman. That's what an option quarterback was supposed to look like. We were running the option. And, and so when we decided if we go on Brett Favre, it's going to be as, as a, as a defensive player. And, and he could have played that. There's not a doubt in my mind, but had he come to the Cajuns and it never worked out. His dad and I talked later about it and, you know, but anyway, his dad was his coach. Um, but with that being said, had he come there, he'd have never been. It's, it was a system fit with the abilities that we needed, and I think that's the thing with when you look at the transfers. And, you know, Cajuns have a couple of transfers in there, and, and there's an assumption that just because they signed with a different school, now all of a sudden they can come in and they're a better player. When I first saw Joe Burrow transferred from, from Ohio State, his first season, I was like, man, I, I just don't know. I know why he wasn't playing at Ohio State because I saw the guys that they were playing with, and at that time I didn't think he was better. Then the next year, I think he opened up with Troy. And I had a buddy of mine that, that uh, is a big LSU fan. We were working together, and I happened to see the, the LSU-Troy game in his first game. I was like, holy smoke, this is a different guy. And it had to do with Joe Brady and what they were asking him to do and giving him the opportunity to do. So I think the 50-50, the yeah, that, that might be generous. I, I think that as you look at it, you got to take some shots at it. You know, I know I know Gary Croton, when he was coaching Louisiana Tech, Kevin Fuqua and I, Kevin worked for him over there, and we would talk about it all the time. He believed in having five quarterbacks. He said, you got to have a starter, you got to have a backup, you got to have a guy in waiting, you got to sign one, and you got to have one that's ready to transfer, who thinks he should be playing, but you know now. Ever will, and, and and so I think that you know transfers are changing. There's just that opportunity for a lot more of them, but that you just as as a as a coach, as a fan base, whatever, whoever you are trying to analyze it. You, number one, you got to know why they're transferring. Number two, you got to know how they fit and what you're asking them to do. And then, I mean, you know, you got some people that say that they just don't fit what you do, but is what they do good enough to make you change? And, and so. I, I, I know we, we had an argument one time when I was coaching. They were talking about a, a, a player, and they said, well, I, you know, we're limited to half the playbook when he's in there. I said, well, that's fine. He's so much better than the other guys. Just run that half. Yeah. You know, and then you'll yeah. probably be okay, you know. I know, you know, uh, and look, there was when, when Blaine Gote first started playing, and then we would sit in the staff and say, well, Blaine isn't where the other guys are as far as knowledge and offense. I said, that's the stupidest thing you ever heard. Find out what he does know and call back. Because we knew he was good. Yeah. Call, just call yeah. what he does know, and, and the rest will take care of itself. When we saw what kind of player Blaine became. Um, you know, the other thing that's interesting is you got Lane Hatcher, who was at Arkansas State. Now he's at Texas State. And then uh, McBride, who was played at quarter, quarterback at Texas State last year, he has since transferred 
to App and 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 one more year of Chase Bryson, then theoretically he's going to take over. It's one thing to get a transfer from Florida State or from, in the case of James Madison, Colorado State or another one of the teams they got a quarterback from Texas State. But when you start transferring in the league, could that get dicey or is that just the where we are in 2022? I think that's where we are and where we're going. I, I think that they they look around and, and people see and look at their you know used to you were transferring for an opportunity to play now they're transferring for other reasons There's some financial implications on people are actually transferring for money you know they're they're getting compensated for it they're they're transferring for opportunity I think is still the number one thing but but they're they're I it's just it it seems weird for me for people to be transferring around the sunbelt and look. You're going from Texas State to Appalachia State. I, I you know, I, Texas State ain't beat nobody, and then and, and Arkansas State ain't beat nobody. You know, if I was them, I'd be I'd be looking at the Cajun roster and trying to get people off of that. You know, or getting people off of Coastal or or, or, or App State or somebody like that. You know, I just those. those uh, I don't know. I, I do believe there's something to be said for winning and developing that habit of winning, knowing that I, I struggled with that through my career, not having those kind of successes. But a lot of what I've seen here in the past, the last few years with the Cajun, there's there's an expectation of winning when they hit the field, and these guys just understand how to do it. Now, they will be tested more this year than they have been in the last couple, and that will be interesting. But I think that the, you know, the transferring within the league, that it's just it's just a little bit different to me, and it's uh, you know, and, and and not to downplay the Sun Belt a little bit, but but you know you're not you're not talking about going uh, SEC to SEC either. You know, it's just that you're going to the the lower part of the Sun Belt to an upper. Part. I just don't see that as being that beneficial. All right. So as the cages begin practice tomorrow, are, are are you on board with the thought process that the offensive line is the number one question, or is that part being overblown? No, that part I haven't heard enough of that. I've heard it, but I mean, to me, that's the key to everything. Is and look, they've got a few names in there. They just, you know, when you put, I think that they could put one good solid group together that will be able to compete and do some things in in the Sun Belt. But the depth is where they've got to develop that through camp and as a, as the preseason goes on. Um, you know, you've got three games before you play your first Sun Belt Conference game, and 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 that's the thing that the Cajuns have been able to do. Um, really going back to the Ricky Bustle days, if you think about it, is, is stay healthy up front. And then when they did have a, a tough year of being healthy, the depth was able to come through and, and be more physical. I think that the success of the Cajuns has been because of the success of the offensive and defensive lines in the Sun Belt. And um, right now I still feel like the, the defensive line is solid and they've got some strengths there, but but the offensive line is has got some depth questions and, and – uh, and some inexperience, and, and, and they're going to have to step up because a, a good offensive line gives a, a new quarterback and, and a new running back a, a chance to get better. And, uh, you know, if, if – if, you know, I, I always said before, if you know, if, if I was on an offense, I'd prefer it being – a, you know, if, if you got experienced quarterback, experienced running back, and, and, and experienced receivers, then I'll, I'll do whatever I got to do with the offensive line. You know, I'll make a good offensive line if those guys are experienced. But when those guys are inexperienced, then you better have it up front. And right now, the Cages are inexperienced in, in kind of both of them. 
All right, one more question. I've heard some really good talk about the progress that Nathan Thomas has made, and I guess he's going to play. I'm assuming he's going to play right tackle. We'll see how it plays out during during August. What chance does he have of being a guy that by the end of the season we're like, well, we had questions, but that guy turned out to be a stud. I th- a stud is the. I was always waiting until you said a stud. Uh, <laughs> I think that he's he does have a chance, and I think that there's going to be somebody that's going to come out of it, uh, out of the season, and be the next guy that people are looking to. And I think that it could be him, um, you know. And and I think somewhere in there, it, it all it, it's it's all one of the things that the Cages have been able to do, and this goes way back, is is develop and, and player development, especially up front. I think Coach Norwood's done a good job with coming over and, and carrying on where it's been. I mean, like I said, it goes back a long way with the offensive line. I still think about Ron Hudson in there, you know, doing it with, with uh, Kyle Pirtle and those guys, and Brad Bussell and, and Chris Fisher and that whole crew, you know, back when, when Michael was the quarterback. And, uh, and you know, seeing it come through and, and Mitch Rodri doing a good job on, under uh, – you know, Coach Hud and that crew, and then Rob Sale coming in, and now Coach Norrie carrying it over. I think that they continue to develop and, and, and grow players in there. I, to me, I'm anxious for not this Saturday, but next Saturday, uh, which is their first scrimmage. Uh, you know, the first couple days are, are, are going to be a little bit of getting used to being around the team setting. Now, they do so much more, Kev, now in June and July than we ever did. So they're going to be way, way, way further ahead as far as knowledge and, and scheme and all that kind of stuff. But sooner or later, I mean, you you got to, I'm going to say put your face on it. You say put your hat on it, but now you can't say that in football. But, uh, you know, you, you got to be able to put your face on people and push people around and kind of get in a fight. And the other part of it is soon, you just got to get tired and get cranky. And then that's when you get better. When You know, in that sixth, seventh day of, of, of camp when, and it's not two a days like, you know, back in the day, it's it's still you, they they practice a few days, take a day off. They're almost on an end week schedule. Where they, they go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, take Thursday off, practice Friday light, and then go Saturday for scrimmage. And so, um, I'm, I'll be anxious to see that first scrimmage and see who is developing as as we go on. Because look, by that time, they will have been going against each other for a little over a week. They're going to be tired of each other. They're going to be in bad moods. That's when it's fun to watch. Well, we start getting some answers then, and we'll see how that plays out as camp goes on. Thank you for your time, as always, sir. I appreciate it very much, and at least you calm me down a little bit. You'll be okay. One day I'll give you a hug. Not today, though. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you, sir. Right. See you, my friend. Gerald Broussard, always, again, unpaid therapist. Uh, I, I, I certainly own. We'll come back, finish out today's show next on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. All righty, welcome back to foot, Footnotes on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Astros begin a four-game series on the road against a very scary team in the Cleveland Guardians. They have they got some guys that can a couple guys in Ramirez and Jimenez that can really hit, doing a great job. Uh, Nailers have been a clutch hitter, and they can really pitch. So 
uh, and they have an all-star closer who got a, the save in the in the I mean in the all-star game. So very scary four-game series in Cleveland that starts tonight. And we've been talking about the Sun Belt Conference and Cajun football and open it up football season. And obviously the most important thing as the Cajuns begin, um, you know, pro- report today and start practicing tomorrow is that they, they, they you, you, you stay healthy. I mean, it, you know, it's been a it's it's been a tricky thing for football coaches for years. Do you 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 got to be physical enough to be able to be physical when you play another team in a real game, but you don't want to be so physical that you're being kind of careless and putting guys at too great an injury risk. So it's a tough deal Le- learning how to tackle and learning, you know, all that stuff in in, in practice. But Besides the health issue, I think obviously, like we've talked about, trying to establish who the starting quarterback's going to be. Um, you know, it, it's it's been pretty apparent that the coaching staff hoped that someone would come out of the spring uh, totally um, as the num- unquestioned number one quarterback, but that didn't happen. So now they're going to start practice tomorrow with pretty close to a 50-50 race. I think that makes practices uh, and the little inter-squad scrimmages even more interesting, more significant. Um, It is, um, you know, we talked about it, I wrote about it, and we talked about it for Sunbelt Conference Media Day last week in New Orleans in that, the fact that their skill sets are the same makes it difficult as well. But there's more than just quarterback. Obviously, you've got new defensive coordinator, not new to the program, but new in that role. So you've got those things to kind of work out. And you've got offensive line issues and questions. And, and you've got to figure out how is that depth going to play out? Uh, what Who are your potential starters? If so-and-so gets hurt, um, you know, at tackle, you know, who who are your potential there? It sounds like there's a very good chance Jax Harrington could be moved to center, but, you know, Landon Burton, formerly of St. Thomas More, has, has really impressed the coaches. And he, he, had, he got injured in the spring. And how long is his rehab going to get back? So I think offensive line questions, you know, and working out all your offensive line options is a huge part of camp. For, for, for the Cajuns as they start practice tomorrow. And, you know, one of the things that, that they've done a tremendous job of is playing a lot of guys to where you have options if guys get hurt or they get, you know, on the last few years, COVID or whatever issue happens. They've had guys who have play, got, had enough experience at positions where they could go in and play. So I'm sure that, that approach will not change, and it's going to be very important for them to do that so you know again it's a little more CIA-ish when it comes to college and covering college in August than it is in the NFL but we'll learn a little bit about uh, all these teams and as practice begins to more and be able to report on that as we look forward to the start of the college football season all right 
Um, it's been uh, a lot of people have been waiting for this. It's August. Football season is here. At least college football, NFL already started. Now it's college football teams start to start practice, and we'll we'll look forward to those updates. All right, that'll do it for today's program. Y'all have a nice day.